0: Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daducci, and this time round, we're doing the comic book and movie, The Vendetta. Which means I get to talk to you about Guy Fawkes, I get to talk to you about 21st century riots and actions against governments and movements, I get to talk to you about hacking, and I get to talk to you about the 1980s in Britain. Ooh, and also, let's not forget Alan Moore, which will invariably mean at some point we're going to talk about snake worship. This is a good one, people. Please come with me on a really weird and wonderful journey. So, let's start at the beginning, shall we? And Viva Vendetta, if you're not aware of what this is, it was originally a comic book, It was written by Alan Moore and was drawn by David Lloyd. Generally, whenever you have the people talk about Stanley inventing all this stuff. Well, he wrote a lot of the stuff, but he needed people like Kirby to draw the stuff. Anyway, so the point is Alan Moore is somebody who has become extremely well-respected. Well, he already was well-respected in the comic book world, but he's become increasingly more respected in the movie world. And Alan Moore wants absolutely nothing to do with that. Because he's Alan Moore. Alan Moore, if this name sounds familiar to you, and I've certainly mentioned him in the past, and I've done some episodes on some of his other products, the thing he's most famous for writing is Watchmen. Which, I've done episodes on it, so don't worry about it. It's arguably the greatest comic book to have ever been written and drawn, I guess in the western hemisphere at least it's huge it's amazing it's extraordinarily complex and mature it came out in the 1980s where there really was this renaissance of the comic book world in the 1980s and i'm going to say it started in britain and not in america and you get things like watchmen which just completely changed people's minds as to what it could be. When, and I've said this before, when Time magazine brought out its 100 greatest books of the 20th century, Watchmen was the only comic book in that list. That's how good it is. But he's done other things as well. He reinvented Swamp Thing and made it a far more interesting character in the DC world. He also wrote The Killing Joke, which is... One of the first examples of a sort of origin story of the Joker, and indeed its ending is wonderfully ambiguous. And there was much debate when it first came out. And me and my friends were talking about it. Now, unfortunately, because the Killing Joke became part of the core law of Batman, it meant that the ending doesn't mean what it was intended by Moore. Which is one of the reasons why he gets grumpy and angry about this stuff. But he also did from hell which was a comic book version of the jack the ripper murders he also really cut his teeth and this is why i'm going to properly start with the seminal comic book of britain 2000 ad where he wrote the series ballad of halo jones and also he did some of the best future shocks 2000 ad launched in the 1970s alan Moore was not one of the first writers and it was something that i grew up with what i didn't realize in the late 70s and then on into the 80s is how controversial it was all i knew is it was very different to all the other comic books that i could buy in the newsagent i loved it and what it was is unlike american comic books if you go and buy an iron man comic and i'm talking about an actual comic book not a graphic novel or anything like that then it's probably part of a story about iron man iron man's in it and for the next 20 pages we see the adventures of iron man whereas something like 2000 ad which was similar to other comic books like battle for example it was an anthology now the one consistent thing in every edition of 2000 ad apart from a couple in the very beginning was judge Dredd, and everybody's heard of judge Dredd. And Alan Moore, indeed, wrote some episodes of Judge Dredd, some stories of Judge Dredd, but certainly he's not the creator of Judge Dredd. But there are other seminal characters. Rogue Trooper, which really does need to be turned into a movie, is a genetically engineered infantryman fighting on New Earth, and New Earth being turned into a toxic sludge wasteland, so all normal humans have to wear biohazard suits, but he doesn't, and he's bright blue, and he's trying to find the traitor who killed all the other genetically engineered infantrymen at the landing zone of their first battle it's a great revenge story sci-fi story it's just so much fun they got strontium dog johnny alpha or the strontium is actually well strontium is an element on the periodic table but strontium 90 is a radioactive and highly radioactive isotope of strontium which can cause all kinds of damage to your body and in this version The strontium dogs are all these mutants created by this radiation who can't get proper jobs, so they all become bounty hunters. So Johnny Alpha has these eyes. He looks pretty normal human, but it allows them to draw all kinds of weird, wonderful creatures. And he's got eyes that act like X-ray eyes. Apart from that, he's completely normal. He has no pupils in his eyes either. So he's a cool bounty hunter, anti-hero, clearly based a bit on Dirty Harry in one direction, whereas Judge Dredd's clearly based on Dirty Harry in another direction, so that obviously these things are influenced by the stuff around them, but they themselves create their own original complex ideas. And there was a big debate in the late 1970s about whether or not this stuff should be suitable for children. There's a brief sidebar. One of my favourite things was Nemesis the Warlock. I know I've talked about this in the past, where I talked about sort of censorship and... I love Nemesis the Warlock, it was drawn by this guy called Kevin O'Neill, who sadly at time of recording passed away about a year ago, I splashed out over £100, it's absolutely magnificent, I think it's A1 size, it's a massive book with copies of the original artwork of Kevin O'Neill in it, and it's just great to see it so blown up, and you can kind of see his amendments and things that didn't make it to the comic book, etc., So he draws it, and he's very careful. Obviously, if you show blood or nudity, that's not going to be suitable for children. So he pushed it to the limit. For example, chairs made out of skeletons and things like that. I loved that kind of stuff when I was, like, eight years old. But there's a great story when he presented it to the British Board of Censors for Comic Books in Britain, and they rejected it. And in any of these situations, a bit like movies, they say, "Okay, which bit are you objecting to? you know, take out that one frame where an eyeball flies across the screen in a movie or indeed a comic book, something like that. However, the response to Kevin O'Neill's artwork is everything. It just has this complete pervasive feeling of torture and darkness, which he took to be a bit of a compliment there. Anyway, it's that kind of edginess that 2000 AD was going for. And really what electrified 2000 AD was the introduction of Margaret Thatcher parodies in britain such as spitting image also loved margaret thatcher because she was such a strong leader somebody who didn't hide behind well it wasn't my idea it was the cabinet's idea she stood up for what she believed in which meant that she was perfect for parody and skewering and so on and so forth so particularly a lot of artists are going to be more left wing than right wing this electrified them to make comments and indeed moving on to v for vendetta which started off actually again in one of these British compilation anthology type comic books not in 2000 AD but actually another one called Warrior and there was lots of intermingling of the talents etc. That's where V for Vendetta started and it very much was a challenge to an exaggeration of Thatcherite politics but clearly based on Thatcherite politics and starting to push against them teaching young children who can't vote Perhaps this is not the way to run a country. Really interesting stuff and so much more interesting than what was going on in American comic books in the early 1980s. Another quick shout-out for Alan Moore in 2000 AD, he also wrote not all of, but a lot of the really good Future Shocks, which were about five pages, usually a self-contained story. It's like The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits. It just has a character that's going to be in this story and probably this story alone that something weird and wonderful happens to them there's a twist to it could be a very dark twist or what have you really interesting stuff so much so that if you know this stuff and i've got to be careful here there are a number of early black mirror episodes which seem to be uncannily influenced by some of the future shocks of the early 1980s but i'm not going to say anything more than that but i do remember a time when somebody said oh have you seen black mirror i went no and they started to tell me the plot and i went oh and then does this happen yeah and does that happen yeah how do you know that because it was a future shot from the early 1980s that always stuck in my mind ever since then so anyway more writes really good stuff really intelligent challenging stuff one of the reasons why he doesn't like hollywood he doesn't like dumbing down but now we have to move into the for vendetta as i've already started the journey there so originally it was in warrior From uh, as an anthology in black and white from 1982 to 1985 so this is at the time while he is in 2000 AD he's doing side project freelance, he, he can work with whoever he wants and indeed just very briefly and I know I've said this before but the thing about Watchmen is it was drawn and inked by Ian Gibson and written by Alan Moore both those people had worked together on 2000 AD and indeed if you read 2000 AD in the early 80s it's just more 2000 AD. It's just that America had never really experienced anything like that before. It then gets redone from 88 to 89 into 10 standalone comic book issues, which are now in color, which are now printed by DC. So we've now flipped over into the New World, into America, and now Viva Vendetta ends its story, culminates its story under the DC banner and indeed it's been under DC Black which is a specific print and publishing wing of DC it's also been reprinted a lot under the Vertico name which is actually the name that is under the movie in 2005 in America 2006 in Britain ironically the Americans get to see it beforehand and the story of Viva Vendetta is that there was a nuclear war in the 1980s which led to more radical politics in the 1990s and so Moore's quite careful about this depending on the movie or depending on the comic books it kind of doesn't matter what the name is but the point is conservatism, labor and Britain don't exist anymore they were wiped out by a super right-wing fascist organization that now runs Britain it's now a totalitarian dictatorship. We are now in dystopian, near-future Britain, although, obviously, from our perspective, looking back, the 1990s are in the past. And V is the man who is standing up against it. He is trying to push back. And, as Alan Moore said, he wanted to make V ambiguous. And what triggered this is because I haven't seen the movie for a long, long time, and it was recently a break in the holidays and i had both my teenage boys and i went Do you know what we were talking about what should we watch and various different ideas came up and i then noticed that on amazon viva vendetta I, it came up in the conversations it's, been, it's a long time since i've seen it. i think i think you guys will like it And it was only going to be available for free on amazon for another three days when that's it they sold it we're going to sit down and watch it and as i was watching it and i probably hadn't seen it since it first came out so over 15 years ago, it has only become more relevant. Not just in Britain, but particularly in America. And this is the thing. Looking back in the 1980s, I absolutely understand why there was so much resistance to Margaret Thatcher. She very much pushed against the unions. I am well aware that people who are online, particularly listening to podcasts, tend to be more left-wing than right-wing, so you're probably going to be more naturally agreeable to unionization. And at the time of recording, there is still the writer's strike in America's being resolved, but there are still the actor's strike, which sounds like it's about to get... I think this could age horribly. It could drag on for the next three years. At the moment, it looks like they're at least talking again. So hopefully there could be something resumed soon. We'll see. But I find it really interesting how even people online who are claiming to have no bias are reporting things like the actor's union striking from the studios. And as always in these things, I'm going to say both sides have a point. The thing that I do see from the studio's perspective is whereas actors are saying, if you're not going to pay us some kind of commission, some kind of royalties, so the extra bits on a particularly successful TV show that keeps running and running and running, I get that. That should They should be paid more. If Friends is still being shown, the actors on Friends who made a lot of money the first time around should be paid something by the fact that it is still a valuable IP. But this idea that you get profits from shows i'm a little less down for that on the grounds that an actor turns up and gets paid and if it's successful they'll keep getting paid because they'll keep making them but the studio has to actually make it and a lot of studios make movies and tv shows that flop at which point the studio has to absorb that hit there is a financial risk involved to them so if they're going to financially risk i'm going to argue they should be financially rewarded first when things start making money but if you're not going to be part of the risk I don't see why you should be part of the reward automatically. You may completely disagree with that, but hopefully you can follow the logic on that. So, you know, this is the thing. Just because people are on strike does not mean that everything they're asking for is reasonable. But if you don't ask for more than what you want, you're not going to get what you actually want because negotiations are always some kind of compromise between the two. I digress. But in the 1990s, and I know I've mentioned this before, if you don't know a lot about Britain in the 1980s, sorry, not 90s, 80s, Margaret Thatcher went to war, in essence, with a whole bunch of unions, particularly the miners' unions, and as I've said before, talking about coal being the future doesn't sound very good in the 21st century, and indeed, Margaret Thatcher was the first Prime Minister to start taking the environment seriously, we're talking about the 1980s here, and that is actually a good thing, I don't think anybody's going to be against the environment, indeed, there are lots of people very angry at the Conservative government in 2023, who haven't done enough for the environment and seems to be pushing back some of the targets as well. But this is one of these things. Every human being is complicated. Very few human beings are purely evil or purely good. And the Margaret Thatcher government, in hindsight, did modernize Britain. Now, as I have said before, if you're going to shut down the mines and you've got a whole town dependent on work from the mines, you've got to give them some other work, Or what are they going to live on? And that was the fundamental mistake and absolutely the reason why people condemn Margaret Thatcher. I get it. But with all this going on, at least she had ideas and she worked in the democratic system and she was rational and and she, you know, explained her perspective. You may disagree with her perspective, but she had one. But when you compare it with America since 2016, Jem said, trying to be subtle about this, there's been just a lot of anarchy for anarchy's sake so, whereas in the 1980s, there hadn't really been anything like Margaret Thatcher before in Britain, to start calling her fascist does make you very much a student with perhaps a poster of Che Guevara on the wall in your student digs.
1: Somewhere in your wardrobe i be willing to bet There's a t-shirt probably bearing the
0: silhouette of Che Guevara Watching the young ones and things like that you know, calm down a bit and in hindsight it wasn't as bad as people were making it out at the time again, if you're like the children of a a miner and going, Jem, we were on the breadline for 10 years, I I hear you, but also do you really think a coal mine would be open in 2023, if you you take my point, at some point that thing was going to shut down so, hopefully you see, I'm trying to be even-handed here, you may think I failed horribly, but usually there's a point to both sides the anger and justifiable anger and upset and worry and concern about the conservative government led to people like alan moore and others starting to make them feel like they're fascist i hate the term fascist or the the thing i really hate is when people say we're living in a police state if you really were living in a police state you'd be terrified of saying that because you'll get disappeared don't believe me Try using the word war about Ukraine in Russia today. Eight years in prison. And then after that, they'll probably lock you up for something else. You're unlikely to ever get out again. And do you think a Russian prison is a place you ever want to be in the first place? You're probably going to die of hypothermia over the winter period or something. Same thing in places like China. The places that really do shut down freedom of speech people are incredibly brave and usually go disappearing when they do try and use that freedom of speech that the government doesn't want you to do so again that's not really what was going on in Britain in the 1980s but to extrapolate and show you the dangers of where right wing politics can go I hear you and again this is happening in comics at the same time that Marvel is patting themselves on the back by having the armor wars with Iron Man it's like Yeah, it was an interesting story arc, but it didn't really have anything to say about the world, whereas British comics were getting kids thinking. They were politicizing children, like I say, before they could even vote, and I will applaud that. But, if you're going to be against something, then V is the epitome of anarchy. And famously, in Britain, in the late 70s, we had the band The Sex Pistols, who created Anarchy in the UK, which wasn't uh, wasn't allowed to go to number one in the charts. And God Save the Queen, which was another thing they released in the summer of 77, when it was the Silver Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II, both these songs, and they were songs, they didn't have any swearing in them or anything like that, were seen as dangerous. Again, how much pop music in the late 70s? ABBA, I love ABBA love a bit of Aerosmith etc these are great tunes but they're not exactly politically active so I am not, full disclosure not a huge fan of the Sex Pistols, I think they are largely noisy, I get what they're trying to do but again they also took missteps, there's the famous image of them with one of their supporters sitting with them being interviewed and they're wearing a swastika and they're just trying to incite a reaction but the Nazis aren't something we should look up against and if you're anti-fascist why wear fascist imagery so it was all a bit mixed up topsy-turvy so with all of that in mind if you genuinely do have a dictatorship that has got the people scared uh, they're like scared cattle in essence there's the phrase in both the book and in the movie which says people shouldn't be scared of their governments the government should be scared of the people
1: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: And I don't like that phrase, scared. Nobody should be scared about anything. In essence, I would change it to, government shouldn't give orders to the people. The people should give orders to the government. That I'm okay with. It's, it's, what it's talking about is an imbalance, but it's going a bit too far because nobody be it the masses, or be it the government, should be using intimidation tactics. Rule of the mob is not a good thing. And so because V is against the government, he is being an anarchist. He's trying to tear it all down. And I had a fascinating conversation with the kids after the movie and say, the kids, they're boys, they're teenagers. One of them is nearly old enough to vote. But anyway, sorry, that's a dad slip there. I apologize. They were saying, yes, but what he was doing was right was tearing it down. I went, yeah, and then what? He didn't have a solution. The thing about anarchists, they're against rules and organisation. And that sounds fine, again, if you're a student sitting in your student accommodation. But what next? Because you do actually need rules. If the argument is, you know, we're constrained by society and this false Christian morality, we should be able to do whatever we want. Does that include murdering people? That's usually the first place people go to. No, 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 we don't mean murdering people. Okay, so somebody is putting up some restrictions there. It is not everything for everyone. You know, should we be putting heroin on our cornflakes and giving them to our children? No, 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 of course not. That's stupid. So in other words, you're saying that there's a point at which people take responsibility of the young people. So. It doesn't matter how loose your rule system is, if you're living in a group, some basic rules do have to be adhered to. Oh, property is theft. Try saying that if you've got your own house that you're raising your family in. You really want that and you don't want a bunch of skinheads just walking through playing music that you wouldn't want an eight-year-old to hear. So this is the thing about anarchy. It sounds great and it can be a great place to start against some really dangerous regimes but it very quickly falls in on itself because it's replacing something with nothing and nature abhors a vacuum. But you're getting these conversations about anarchy and fascism in comics. And again, that's, I will give 10 out of 10 to that. And going back to the kids, I said, so is V, the the guy who's up against it all, is V a good guy or a bad guy? And I would say he's a classic anti-hero. He's the sort of person where he's not all right but against the extremes he's up against he is right. And the idea is that he says again both in the book and the comic books and the and the movie is you can kill a man but you can't kill an idea. Beneath this mask there is more than flesh. Beneath this mask there is an idea Mr Creedy. And ideas are bulletproof. And that's absolutely true. And so he, throughout the whole of the series and in the movie, is you never see his face. Like Judge Dredd, he never takes off the helmet because the catchphrase for Judge Dredd is, I am the law. And so that's not a human being. That's an idea. That's a concept. So they've taken a little bit. If you like, V is the mirror image to Judge Dredd, who is all about orders, law, procedure, governance following the orders whereas V will have none of that and he's just a really interesting idea not character because part of it is you learn a little bit about how V became V but the point isn't the man and the man wears a mask and this is where I can get into some other stuff so this is in the 1980s and it's harking back to the year 1605 where we don't tend to, a little behind-the-scenes look, whenever you do a podcast about a holiday or festival, it may or may not do good numbers on that time. Because if people don't see your podcast as being... Well, let's take Christmas, okay? If people don't see the podcast as being particularly a Christmassy one, they might not necessarily tune into that one. They might think, I know all these stories already. So, you, you first of all, you may or may not get good numbers on that particular time-sensitive episode, but then... Who's going to listen to a Christmas episode in February? By then, everybody's fed up for Christmas, and now we're worried about Valentine's Day or whatever. So with that in mind, I was not going to do a Guy Fawkes episode. But I want to explain, because it is fascinating. I have American family, and I was explaining to them. They were saying, so you don't have 4th of July, right? Right, yes, because actually that's when we lost. So we don't have an Independence Day. Just England just happened. Scotland just happened. Wales just happened. There isn't a specific date where they're formed. So with that in mind, the question from my my family was, so when do you guys let off fireworks? And I went, oh, that's easy. It's, it's Guy Fawkes night. And indeed, I remember one time I was doing a business trip and I was flying from Amsterdam to London at nighttime on the 5th of November. And the pilot said to all our Dutch travelers as we land in London, please be aware we're not under attack. It is Guy Fawkes night and you're seeing fireworks coming up from the surface up towards the airplane, but they will never go anywhere near us. Hilarious, lovely idea. And indeed, looking down, you could see little splashes there and it's like, I guess it must have been a bit like this during the Blitz. I digress. What actually happened, and then I'll tell you about the event, and then I'll tell you about how's it, how it's tied into Viva Vendetta. Also, what it is and isn't. So, you get the Protestant Reformation in the early 1500s. That is Martin Luther saying, I'm a Christian, but why do we have to listen to the Pope? It seems that there's a lot of layers between us and God. There are all these bishops, there's the Pope, there are all these saints, but none of these saints are in the Bible. We need to get back to what the meaning of Christianity is, and that means we don't necessarily have to listen to the Pope that's what the reformation is and why we get things like calvinism anglican church protestant faith as a whole there's lots of different ones and this leads to a splintering of christianity in europe however the main groups are you're either protestant or catholic and the catholics were there first so you coming to england you have this period after 1515 the Protestant Reformation, where sometimes the ruler is Catholic and will start persecuting Protestants, and sometimes the ruler is Protestant and start persecuting Catholics. And this keeps going backwards and forwards, and it's pretty bloody and it's not very nice for the local population. And ultimately, you would argue, well, surely people can believe in what they want to believe. Yeah, but too much of this is tied in with politics. And so, just after the 1600, we get the death of Queen Elizabeth I, who is very much a Protestant queen. Because she has no kids, they now need to look around for any vague member of the family who's definitely Protestant, and they reach out to James VI of Scotland, who now becomes James I of England as well. So he's got two titles, depending on where he is. And he's also very Protestant. But he's not looking for a fight. Don't forget, England is bigger, more powerful, it's got colonies, it's got more money and wealth than Scotland. He wants to keep the job, thank you very much. So he's not looking for trouble, he's not persecuting Catholics. However, there were Catholics in England at that time who very much wanted a return to a Catholic monarchy. They would be better off in that situation. And so a cabal was created, a group of them, led by Robert Catesby, and the idea was why don't we wait for the king to go to Westminster Palace, where all of the members of parliament, all of the aristocracy, although theoretically these people are starting to get voted in, let's not call it a democracy in the early 1600s, but the lawmakers are all in the same place at the same time, including the king. And novelly, up until this point, if you wanted to carry out a revolt or revolution, it would have involved peasants marching down the streets with their torches. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, pitchforks, all that kind of stuff there is this relatively new invention admittedly been around for like 150 years but nobody had thought about well not just firing a cannon but if we got lots of this explosive gunpowder together maybe there's we could get enough to wipe out the houses of parliament the palace of westminster and problem solved and then we can install a catholic king this is a dumb plan for many reasons while it's novel Nobody had thought of this before, and therefore the guards aren't looking for that type of potential danger to all of the people in the Houses of of Westminster. There are lots of problems. First of all, and and insanely you're going to think, the Houses of Parliament were out on the Thames, and therefore underneath them there are all the storage warehouses, which people could just rent. You didn't have to be like a Member of Parliament to have access to them. If you had the money, you could rent it out. So it might be where I store my goods it might be where i store rope for my shipping etc rigging and all that kind of good stuff it was that sort of stuff nobody thought about well what happens if somebody rents one and fills it full of barrels of gunpowder which is exactly what happened but of course it's right next to the river thames and these things are in essence at sea level so they're kind of damp and gunpowder notoriously doesn't fire when it's damp and then plague broke out in London so everybody left and parliament was adjourned and so this stuff's just sitting there for months and the guards unbelievably don't find the huge pile of barrels of gunpowder I know this is the insane bit but also all that time it's only going to get damper and therefore less likely to ignite then uh one of the members of the group are worried about their mate who is a member of parliament and notoriously sends him a letter saying don't turn up on the 5th of november you know just just make your excuses trust me on this and the member of parliament immediately hands it over to the security forces this in essence is a plan that should never have worked that didn't work but remember catesby Is the guy behind, is the brains, and I use that in a looser sense, behind this potential coup, which is what it is. They are not trying to set up a democracy. Indeed, the closest thing to a democracy is the thing that they're going to be blowing up. And remember, King James, the first slash sixth, he's actually being pretty mild on the Catholics at this time. But what happens next is Guy Fawkes is sent down into the House of Parliament to check on the barrels. And he is the one caught red-handed. He is incarcerated. He is then brutally tortured online. And sometimes on the 5th of November, I, I release it. There is a picture of his signature before his torture and then a picture afterwards. And just the shaking mess of letters. Just, it's an incredibly visceral idea of how brutal the Renaissance era was in in Europe. It might have been the start of the Age of Enlightenment, in inverted commas, but these people were not very enlightened, particularly how they treated people incarcerated. Fawkes was tortured. It led to him revealing names of people. I guess that's one of the few examples where torture actually, although they were already on the case of the guy who sent the letter, and so it led to various shootouts, and everybody was executed. As you can see, this was not a great plan, And it failed miserably, and everybody was punished. And again, if if you turn this into the modern world, if there was an extremist group who were caught red-handed with Semtex about to detonate themselves underneath the, the Houses of Parliament, there's going to be a few crazies online who are going to support them, but everybody's going to say, send them to prison forever. Or can we not bring back the death penalty these guys are terrorists and they were happy to kill just lots of people unarmed people people who, who didn't threaten them in anything other than a potentially ideological manner so that is the reality what guy fawkes who wasn't the ringleader he was just one of the people there wanted to do was replace one king with a king with a slightly different religion that probably would have rewarded them with lavish jewels he was not an anarchist He was not a democracy lover. That's all he was. But he's become repurposed, particularly in V for Vendetta, into these other elements. And it's incredibly positive towards Guy Fawkes. However, what happened, and this is the weird thing, over Britain's long and bloody history, there are many people who've threatened this country. There are many people who posed a much more serious threat than Guy Fawkes and indeed it's Catesby we should every year so what we do every year is we create a huge bonfire then we create an effigy of Guy Fawkes put him on top of the bonfire set fire to it and then set off the fireworks which are the gunpowder that he failed to use and when I describe this to my American family they went so every year a guy who threatened your country you set fire to him and celebrate his death he goes, I wouldn't want to make you your, you, guys angry. It's like, that's a really good way of looking at it. And yeah, it's pretty grim, isn't it? And yet, I think nowadays, maybe we should do Napoleon or Hitler. They both cause far more greater potential... They both cause far more greater potential threat to Britain than Guy Fawkes ever did. And indeed, there's one place where every year, the most threatening person against Britain every year, they make a Guy Fawkes of that particular individual and then burn that that makes a lot more sense also it's a bit more political as well so that is the situation that is the actual real history of it and therefore in v for vendetta we can ultimately go back and thank david lloyd who is the artist what v does is he wears a guy fawkes mask and this very stylized version of an early 17th century man with a pointy beard and moustache was turned into a mask by David Lloyd and then that was interpreted in turn by the movie makers into a Guy Fawkes mask which looks very much like the comic books and you know that mask because if you've ever seen something from Anonymous or if you've ever seen a strange grinning mask with a moustache a white face with a big black moustache and pointy beard big grins with rosy cheeks that's the Guy fawkes masks from V for Vendetta, which has now become hijacked by actual protesting, or sometimes anarchist, or sometimes freedom of speech groups. So everything that Alan Moore would have wanted to have seen as a metaphor is now happening in reality. You get things like the Take Wall Street movement. There were Guy Fawkes masks in there, or V for Vendetta masks in there. In Hong Kong in 2019, when there were the big Push against the new, more severe, more restrictive laws being brought in from mainland China into Hong Kong. There were people wearing those masks. Indeed, there was a case where there was a radical group marching through London protesting. And at the same time, there was a Comic Con on. And there were a group of guys who were going to the British Comic Con as V for Vendetta, so dressed up all in black with a big. 1600s black hat on and the V for Vendetta mask that accidentally walk into the middle of these protesters and they are the ones who get picked up by the police because now there is no difference if you like V for Vendetta the ending of the movie is beautiful as you see the houses of parliament blow up you see all these people marching on the soldiers who don't have any orders don't know what to do so don't fire on the people in front of them or the unarmed civilians but they're all dressed up like V for Vendetta and some of them take off their masks and they're the faces of some of the people who had been killed by the establishment over the course of the movie. It's beautiful and it's a telling political point and it's so relevant today that we do have some people who in places like America who would rather a dictatorship that ignores democracy because it's their guy than actually follow the rules which the rules are there to protect democracy, to give people, well, what is democracy? What's the point of democracy? It's to give people a chance to pick their leaders rather than the strong or the influential or the rich to pick who gets to be, or my son, it's a hereditary monarchy. These sorts of things are inherently inflexible and the only way you can bring them down is through violence, which is what V for Vendetta does. Whereas the great thing in democracy is if we don't like the people who are in power right now, we can vote in another group, another party. But as soon as somebody doesn't want to play that, it shows you how fragile democracy is. So, all of this together shows you what an incredibly powerful, potent thing Beef of Vendetta is. In many ways, the face mask of Beef of Vendetta is more iconographic around the world than the smiley face with the blood splatter from Watchmen. Now, which is the better comic? Watchmen. But which one has made a greater impact in protest, following the things that Alan Moore, who, in his own form of protest, he is a pagan, and he follows a Roman snake god and carries out rituals to the best of his ability in his own property. You can do what you want, but it's his sort of thing saying, you know, look, be whoever you want to be. Don't be who the people in power tell you who you should be, which is a great idea, And I do endorse it up to a point. But like I say, if you're going to replace something, replace it with something better, kinder, more egalitarian even. But when you look at a lot of the revolutions throughout history, the first thing that happened is too much blood was spilt. So with that thought, I'm going to leave it with you. One other thing about the movie, which really I would recommend you watch. I'm not going to say it's five star. I'll call it four stars. It's aggressively British. I love the fact that the cops all drive around in rover cars. You see loads of people who are familiar to... British viewers you've seen them on TV to Americans they might not be so well known Stephen Fry's in it it's very strange to see some of these people in a movie about a dystopian future but that's one of the reasons why I love it and one of the things is and one of the reasons why the opening of this episode was a bit different is there is a beautiful piece of music about halfway through I'm not going to go too much into it basically the story of the movie is largely between Evie and V who are these two people whose lives start intertwine and Evie goes through quite the character arc with V first time reviling him never fully 100% on board she's it's complicated is the simple answer but halfway through when she has this epiphany there is this beautiful transcendent piece of music with amazing visuals as well and I was so overwhelmed by it. Now, full disclosure, it was actually in The Burnt City, an interactive, immersive theatrical experience I went to. And when I heard that music, I knew I'd seen it in a movie and I knew the sort of scene it was in, but I couldn't place it. So just to hear it, and I was so moved by it in the theatrical environment, I nearly came to tears. And this time around when I watched it and I realised, oh my goodness, this is where it's from. This is the piece of music. I did. I did cry. It's. It's it's that powerful a piece of music for me and so i hope you enjoyed it too please tell me what you think were you an anarchist have you read any of these things have you ever worn a viva vendetta slash guy fawkes mask were you aware of the story of guy fawkes have you heard of kate Speed before all this stuff reach out to me i'm at jem on twitter x call it what you want or threads those are the two best places to reach out to me please click subscribe please give us a review it takes you- Three seconds to give us a five-star review. Thank you. Thank you. On whatever podcast you're listening to this, I really appreciate it. It helps spread the word. And as always, another episode coming soon.
1: Go to queens.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.